Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. Did you know that like other fine arts, landscaping, yes, landscaping, is prone to fashion trends? I suppose that means that this year's favoured ground covers, rock and water features, plants and trees might be terribly out of vogue next year. Or is there a timeless approach also? Who better to enlighten and tell us about all things groovy in the world of gardens than our own trendy and lauded pro-landscaper Keith Edwards? What's the story, Keith? Is there such a thing as landscaping vogue? Well, there is landscaping vogue, and landscaping vogue, I guess, to me, is just a landscaping trend. Yeah, you know, it's a trend. Thing. You know, it's, it's something that, that people see and becomes popular one day and, you know, stays and for a little while and then goes. Yeah, well, you know? exactly. So there's a cycle, I suppose, there in all of these cycle. things, isn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when, I, was, when I was doing my, my schooling, the, the trend there was for, for native plants. And, uh, as well as you know the more exotic varieties, um, and and these the exotic varieties that I'm talking about uh, were mainly from Western Australia. Why Western Australia? Because what's so good about Western okay, Australia? Well, the, the, they they have I, I I did a botanic tour of Western Australia, and I've done botanic tours all over the world basically, mm, mm. and the hardest tour that I did was studying native plants of Western Australia. Why? <laughs> because they their plants over there are totally different to what we have here in the eastern states. And that's because of the weather Be- and the soil. And the soil, yeah. Yes. But there's there's a great big desert between yes. you know between them and us this- that basically Nothing grew, and you know, so things didn't yes. move across. Yes, right. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. So our soil, our soils couldn't cope. Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay. So, so the problem we have with with a lot of the native the native plants from from WA is that they're not used to the poor soils that we've got here. Even though their soils are poor over there, they're poor in a different different manner. <laughs> they're poor because they're poor sandy. soil generally. Yep. Yeah. Whereas our soils soils are poor over here, in but different. they're very very they're very very shallow. Uh. You know, so we have a tiny little bit of topsoil, and then it just goes to and a hard loam and then clay, you know, so mm. there's not, you know, a real good depth of soil for the plants to grow. Yep. And therefore, they, that was where things became problematic with using these beautiful plants from Western Australia is their root systems did not work Coke. here in Australia. Yeah. In Victoria, you mean the, on in the Victoria, east? So in Victoria, sorry, on the eastern coast, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, so, they were, so what happened was a new industry started mm. by finding ways of growing the Western Australian indigenous plants onto rootstock that oh. would allow them to grow here in Victoria. Okay, I see what you mean. Okay, so native gardens at the time were, were obviously the big, the big, the big trend then in, yep. in Aussie, in yep. Australia. In Australia, That yep. was around the 70s, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, 70s, 80s, yeah. Yep, okay. And so, so how long did that last? Did we change? Did we stick with that for a while once no. we worked out how to plant them in Victoria? No. Propagate no. them? I, I think people then wanted a, a, a garden that reflected a little, little bit more um, form and structure, and that was where in the 80s and 90s um, we saw the trend move back to exotic plantings of English trees, shrubs and ground covers. There you go. You know, the hedging yep. plants became a fashion uh, along with planting a minimum of plant varieties. So we were using big groups and big numbers of plants yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to, to make a statement, okay. you know, meaning less is more. Minimalist, yeah. sort of minimalistic. So exactly. it was a more uniform style of garden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then 
what came then? Yeah, what was after that one? So that well, one lasted 10 years. Yeah, yeah, well, then came the long droughts. Oh. And we had the need to be putting in drought-tolerant plants, plants because yeah. um, water became s- such a you know a, an expensive commodity and yeah. a precious commodity. We had to then look for plants that were drought-tolerant. Um, and which, that is, which has become, the, which is, is still prevalent it's now. It's still prevalent today. It's, it's getting not, more. Well, not this year, more, it's not. No, not. <laughs> well, no, maybe not. Um, so that was then, the, the, the trend then went to the Mediterranean type plants, you know, right, the, yeah. things like the salvias and the agastaches, the achilleas, yep. you know, the perivoscias, all these sorts of things um, started to come into their own. Mm. Um, and then after that, came the dry succulent gardens, you know, with the cacti uh, varieties, the euphorbias, the yes. senecios, yes. and and the popularity of bulbs and rhizome plants, like, um, you know, the, the, the lilies and things like that. Yes. You know, they started to come yes. come to their own form. So I'm picturing the more coastal style of garden, really, which is, well, which is still very, very popular now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. For the coasts. So we're the on coast. the coast pretty much, aren't we? Yep. Um, and... and Along with that trend came the perennial gardens that have been popping on Europe for centuries, and they only became um, a gardening, you know, uh, of, of interest here in Australia in basically the first the first decade of this century, mm. and that was really due to the fact that the varieties um, were such long flowering varieties, you know, ah, the, the so perennials that just lasted with colour and form and shape. We wanted colour. We yeah. wanted colour. We were, we were desperate for we colour. We were desperate for some colour Because we hadn't really had it with the, like, the last trend. Yeah. And, and I reckon this trend, you know, this trend actually continues yes, to this day. Yes, of course it uh, does. And, there's, there, and, you know, even though there's lots of work involved in cutting these plants, plants back after flowering to allow the next display, uh, often in the next season, it's still something that um, is growing and becoming very, very, you know, more, you know much more popular today. Mm. And I know you're starting to to really adopt that and, and right. love that sort well, of thing. Because I you? love colour. As, as the years go by, I want colour more and more in the gardens. We want we want a bit of happiness in our gardens, don't we? We do. Not getting in the world. Um, so why do you think the Europeans were prepared to put time and effort into this sort of style, but we were looking for you know we were sort of perhaps looking for shortcuts more? Um, I, I think it it was a seasonal thing there with mm. with them. You know, they, they didn't have the, the length of growing oh. time that we have here in Australia. You know, we, we can grow things, you know, just about all year round mm. of plants. Oh, all yeah, we don't have of, the extremes. We don't have the extremes yep. of snow and yep. frost and ice and all that sort of stuff that cuts okay. their seasons down. Okay. So they had to make a decision on the sort of things that they really wanted. Okay, you know? all right. Okay, so with all the knowledge that we now have about mass food production and mm-hmm. climate change, etc. What are we enjoying? What are we? What are we doing a bit more of now, Keith? Well, <laughs> the the big thing that's happening now, and it's it's a it's a big part of the brief that I'm getting from my clients when yes. I do a design, and that is an edible garden. Yes, and you're and getting I mean, that over and over now, over and over and over and over again. And there know? are a number of reasons why, aren't there? COVID. Yep. yep. Right now. Yep. We can't afford to buy any lettuce. <laughs> How much is a lettuce worth? <laughs> so it's fantastic. So it's a, so you're combining an edible garden with all of the other things like the coastal gardens, the flowers. Yep. Is it a combination of everything? It is a combination of everything, and it should be. And that's that's the beauty about that. It, it should be that that wonderful combination. Yes. Um, you know, chickens are also now becoming a very very large part of the landscape in, in a lot of my designs. Well, people are asking <clears> for chicken. Well, they not want asking for coops. Oh. Or, you know, yeah, you know, for their actual. That sounds know. like a bit of work, though. Not really. It's, um, Isn't it? it's a beautiful bit of benefit going out there. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, but and, and, you know, if you've got a bit of a stressful period, just going outside and just... Watching the clucking, watching a, clucking of the chickens. Watching a chook do its, piece, <laughs> you know, do its pieces in the garden, 
it's just relaxing. Okay. So tell us how are we going to do all of these things when we're going to work? How are we going to do this? How are we going to have all these things? So you're going to get in there and design a beautiful garden with all of those bits and pieces. Yeah. Then how do we maintain well, all of that? I would figure that in, in order to have a beautiful perennial garden, lots and lots of edibles and all these sorts of things, I would say that in my, in my own instance, mm. in my backyard, with all the you know the eighty fruit trees mm. and all the rest, I would mm. probably spend maybe two hours a week. Is that all you That's, spend? That would be about it. And 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 You're right fibbing. now, right now, <laughs> nearly nothing, because you know um, we're just waiting on things to things to grow. Okay. And we got so there are the, there are busy and da- down times. Yeah, busy absolutely. And not so busy but even times. even in the peak, you know, five hours a week would be about, about the max for a, for a quarter acre block. Well, I'm out there slaving, and I don't know what for. Well, yeah, you, well, <laughs> I enjoy you it. You, you enjoy it, and, and that's why I'm you busy put cutting it, in. it all back to nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, but in order to get these, all these things happening and being so successful, yes. that's where we've got to look at. You know, the soil improvers, yes. such as the biochar, the rock dust, and if anyone's heard our, our recent podcast on Clyde compost, yes. compost, 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 compost. Yes. Um, you know. And, 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 and things like the myco gold, which you know you should be, which is a fungal spore that we should be putting into our into our soils as well, okay. particularly okay. when we're, we're putting in new plants. Yes. So it gives that uh, plant an opportunity to have a symbiotic relationship. Um, you know, so we can create you know wonderful gardens. Mm. Yeah, um, we've just got to start. It's the really start. important thing is to do it from do that the really important early. Um, work of yep. making sure our soils are ready to be able to plant exactly um, whatever whatever we want to put in there. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, and and you know, we I spoke. I, I guess one of the big things I, I speak to about a client is that garden must have structure. You know, and one of the best ways of getting structure regarding is having a hedge. And okay. that hedge can be an edible hedge now. You know, they can, oh, we can know. have hedges that, um, for each, for instance, you, know, have he, you could have a hedge of avocados if you oh, wanted, or fajoas, or guavas. You know, all these things can become, you know, productive, useful mm. bits of structure that your garden's got, you know. Sounds you, you, utopian. It Sounds absolutely. utopian, but it's possible. It is it's possible. possible. Yes, yes. Um, uh, espalier plants, things like that. You, you know, you, I know that you love planting things like espalier apples, espalier... Absolutely. Uh, what, what, espalier citrus? What citrus, else have you yeah, got in the garden? Yeah, yep, citrus, yep. espalier. Espalier, um, sorry, espalier. Citrus and apples, yeah, and they are one of the easiest things to actually look after. And I'm going to do a um, an Instagram post in a few days on on pruning an espalier apple as opposed to pruning a normal apple, <laughs> which I have to do. Which you can you help me with do. that? Well, we've got to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, you know, with the espalier plants, you know, which are really becoming to their fore now because yeah. people don't have the space, and this is a yes. great way of, of yes. maximising space. Yes, you can have. Apples, pears, cherries, figs, plums, apricots, nectarines, peaches, citrus, yes. you know, so the lemons, oranges, mandarins, kumquats and even limes, they can all be espaliered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can do these on fences, you can do them on walls. self-supporting walls, That's right, you can build else. a fence, you can have a dividing you know? fence with something like that. That's true, that's fantastic. Yep, absolutely. It look fantastic too. And, uh, and it's, it's this sustainable landscape that can also teach children where their food comes from, which I think is another incredibly important trend that we've got today, yeah. is p- kids... And children knowing exactly where their food comes from. Absolutely. You know, it's yep. just wonderful. So what we all want now is an attractive, productive, sustainable, water-efficient garden. That's not too much to ask, is it's it? Not. No, no. Absolutely it's not. Okay. Um, my, the, the, my biggest um, follower or the person I'd like to follow the most in terms of, of 
gardening trends. You would like to is, follow, um, yeah. is a chap by the name, landscape architect by the name of Piet Ulthoff. Yes, I know Whose him. designs emphasise plant structure as the most important aspect of a successful garden. Form and texture are valued as much as colour, uh, as is the natural life cycle of these prized plants and that provide long flowering you know, periods, uh, therefore creating lasting and inspirational landscapes. You know. I think I've definitely heard of Piet. I think I've seen his work, which is amazing. Now, grasses play a really important role oh, in his designs, sensational. don't they? Yep. One, of his, one of his most famous designs is actually in America, uh, in an abandoned elevated railway line known as the High Line in West Manhattan. And if anyone's got a chance, they want to have, they want to just have a bit of a look at this. And he's he's been using some indigenous plants and a palette of perennials and grasses, and he's created a truly magical site. Um, and I quote: "People do not walk slowly in New York. They rarely stroll, but they do on the High Line. Couples hold hands. Parents remark on the various plants as they use the High Line walk uh, to to take their children on a leisurely stroll to and from school." Piet's landscapes allow people to breathe easier, not for its manicured beauty, but for its ability to change as nature does. Let's just hope that these uh, latest gardening trends continue and uh, add the, the positivity of beauty, of beauty to the, and sustainability to our landscapes. Here, here. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.